You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. That's cute. I love it. Can you all hear me? Hello, hello. (laughs) This is the closest thing I could find to a dinner bell, so I, I tried. But if you all are here for the first time, or you had the courage to come back, which is greatly appreciated. I wanted to welcome you. My name is Spencer, and today we are continuing a series in South Bay Church. That's our name, and it's called Dinners with Jesus. And so specifically, I will be going through chapter four of this book. We've been reading this book, uh, and you've seen it. Some of us staff, we've just been kind of looking into it. It's very insightful, and it's written by someone named Tim Chester. And so we're going through this idea, in particular, my goal today, I should probably put this bag down. I definitely will. <laughs> my, my goal today is to look at what is the significance of meals? Because since I've been reading Luke 14, which we will be going into, I realized something. So much of Jesus's ministry incorporated meals. I mean, we even talk about communion. And what is that? It's a meal. It's eating. And so I did not recognize the importance of meals. We'll be talking about a meal in Luke 14 and specifically analyzing this idea of how meals reveal, but they also enable access. And so that will be an idea we will be going into. With that being said, I wanted to actually start with a question because the whole idea is dinners with Jesus. And so before we get there, I wanted to ask, I've been in school, I would have all these different assignments, but we'd have these assignments about historical figures. And I'm wondering, did you all ever have that assignment where it was like, if you could have a meal with anyone, (laughs) did you choose Jesus? And you could just do thumbs up, thumbs down, because at least for me, I did. Okay, I'm seeing thumbs up and thumbs down. So, you know, this is good. I need that. I need variance. And so I always kind of wanted to do it, but personally, I was concerned about what other people would think. So I was pretty careful with that. But in looking at Luke chapter 14, I realized something. Reading this chapter, it's kind of an approximation of what that would be like. I may never get to sit with him face to face at a meal table, but reading the chapter, I'll get something. So with that, we will start. But first, going to pray. God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for bringing us all here. And I pray that we can learn from what you did at the table Uh, We can learn about the dinner dynamics, Father, and what went on and what we can take away. Because you had a lot to say, and I don't think it was just for the people that you were eating with. Thank you for who you are. In your name, amen. That being said, I will read Luke 14, 1 to 6. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering. It was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. 
When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so going forward, what is one thing that the table reveals? Personally, I think it's our inner thoughts and priorities. Because when we look right back, you'll notice I highlighted something. And, and this was so fascinating to me. If you notice right there, and it may be kind of hard to see, it's right there. It says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, this blew me away. What we're seeing is that <laughs> the, the catalyst for Jesus' parable was what he, no what he noticed, what was revealed from observation. And what is he observing? How the guests are picking places of honor at the table. And this was during a Sabbath day. The Sabbath was not about personal honor, but what do we see? And there's something else here, too. If you notice, he heals someone at the beginning. Uh, and then what it says is that he asked them a question about whether this was okay to heal during the Sabbath, and the Pharisees have nothing to say. If you notice this nothing to say, that sentence, that actually comes up quite a bit. Because this whole little dynamic where he would heal someone on the Sabbath and the Pharisees, there is this tension and it's repeated. But oftentimes they did not have anything to say. Because if they answered, it would either make Jesus look good or they were afraid of the people. And so something that I'm already starting to notice is that the, the priorities and thoughts of the Pharisees are being revealed. One, it, they seem to prioritize their, their honor and their status. And I even just have doubts about, you know, how much they cared about this man. Like, it, I'm even kind of wondering, was this purposeful? Because there's at least three other times before we get to Luke 14 where Jesus heals on a Sabbath, and, there's, and then there's this tension there. So, again, how does this answer the question that we are assigned in school? You know, what is it like to be with someone at the table, a historical figure, anyone? It reveals our inner thoughts and priorities and that is where we will go to Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. What we see is it seems like there are a group of Christians and they're in trouble, they're discouraged. And so the writer, he, he uses a lot of scripture to try to encourage them, but then he goes that he or, or they, because I'm really not sure who it was, but they go back and they try to support why they're using scripture. What is the word? It says here, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. And you're probably wondering, why am I even reading this scripture? Because we're just talking about Luke. But what I realize is, I think this description of the word 
would be a lot like what it would be like to have dinner with the word, with Jesus, right? Because what we just saw is that Jesus is revealing from what he's seeing that these Pharisees seem to honor their status. Like their inner thoughts are coming out and it's being exposed. And so I'm even realizing if I were to have dinner with Jesus, (laughs) a lot would probably be revealed. A lot of my priorities, a lot of my inner thoughts, the things I wouldn't say, but the things I might think Somehow it'll be kind of like I spoke then. With that being said, there's something else at play too. Something else that may be revealed from having a meal with Jesus. And that is a role. And this whole idea of roles in God's kingdom. So what we saw here is Jesus, towards the end of the parable, he talks about this idea of how the humble will be exalted this was very interesting to me because I, I, raise your hand if you've heard of this before, this idea of the humble being exalted. Wow, so spiritual. Man, <laughs> man. <laughs> but I read this before, but then I was looking back throughout Luke and I noticed something. That idea is not the first place that we're seeing this. We see it in Luke 14, but we need to situate Luke 14 throughout Luke because remember, we have four gospels that are given in our Bible, but each of the Gospels, they reveal something about Jesus. And so as we're looking throughout Luke, this idea of the humble being exalted, it it represents this idea of roles that we see throughout Luke, and I will show you right now. So throughout Luke, we have all of these different scriptures where we see roles are being kind of reversed. And this actually starts with Mary. You know, before Jesus is even born, she has this song, a, a doxological praise. She's, and she's amazed because an angel tells her she would give birth to the Messiah. Th- this is wild. But she says there, at, towards the end of her, of her song, uh, he has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. And as we go down, what you'll see is that that theme keeps getting repeated until we get to Luke 14, and then even past Luke 14, because we have it in Luke 15, 15, 1 to 2, Luke 19, 1 to 9, uh, and then even, and I don't even have it there, but Luke 18, it mentions this whole idea verbatim that the humble would be exalted. So at this table, what we're seeing is what matters to God, what matters in the kingdom that's coming, but that's also arriving. It's already here, and what matters? The, the people who are at the bottom, they're coming to the top. They're not where we think they would be. And so, so far, what have we seen? A meal with Jesus may reveal our inner thoughts and our priorities, as well as roles and priorities in God's kingdom. So, with that being said, we got to keep moving. So, we will be moving on to how meals at the table enable access. So, with that being said, we will be in Luke 14, 13 to 24. And then I'm going to need your help because I'm in need. It can't just be me talking. So we will go right now. And before I get started, I was wondering if everyone could raise something that they use to read the Bible, whether that could be your phone or even a paper Bible, if you could just raise that up. This is great to see because everything you have in your hands, you're going to need to use because I want to apologize. The scripture that I have there 
is not Luke 14, 15 to 24. <laughs> so everything you have in your hands, you're going to have to use, and I'm gonna actually read it right now. So <laughs> this will be very important. I really wanna apologize. I am in need. I need your help. Thank you so much. I'll just start reading right now. So let's, let's get this started. Luke 14, 15 to 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a meal banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he said to his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Then the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So the title of the sermon was Dinner Dynamics. We just read about a banquet. There's meals. Jesus is actually at a meal right now. So what I wanted to do is have us actually take two minutes to discuss with your neighbor, someone across from you, there's no one across, even behind you, even diagonal. What was your greatest favorite meal experience? And so the two minutes will start right now. And then when we're done, you're going to hear it calling us back in, back to the table. So that'll start right now.
That definitely did not work, but we will come back right now. Thank you all so much. We're not quite done yet because I need to hear some voices. Oh, do I need more? I'm seeing the bell. Okay, okay. Is this good? Oh, you're showing me how to do it. Okay, okay. Hey, I appreciate that. I probably should have asked beforehand, but here we are. With that being said, we took two minutes. I was wondering if I could get, I'd say maybe three people to share about their favorite meal. You could just raise your hand. Your favorite meal experience. Okay, I saw your hand and then I'll go with you and just try to speak up so we can all hear. Thank you so much. Just for the sake of our Zoom audience, I'll share right now. Uh, we just had one person share about how they traveled to Latvia and they had this extremely exquisite uh, cuisine <laughs> that was great, but it was also kind of painful because they ate so much. And so, absolutely incredible. I'll go with you and then we'll do one more. So Jason volunteered me. I am Liz. So I was sharing with them that for me it's not what you eat, it's the company. Because um, I like to eat. Um, and so I was sharing with them that when I was 17 I had just become a Christian. God put all my heart to go to Africa. And then 17 years later, and this has some time. And he invited me to Nigeria. And so I was telling him that the, the best meal for me was my first meal in Nigeria. And when they present you the meal, they put it on like a big plate, and then you all eat it together. So kind of like Ethiopia, if you guys have ever had it. Where it's like, you know, it's, it's communal. And so really it's just symbolic of the culture. Um, and for me, that was really cool to be able to see that um, and try the different foods and kind of everybody grabbing a little bit of everything. So for me, it was also like a fulfillment of a dream. So being able to see myself there when I had never imagined if I'd ever have that chance. So for me, it's more emotional, but yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Real quick, just for Zoom. So we had Liz share about how after she became a Christian, at around the age of 17, she traveled to Nigeria. And one of the greatest things about... You dreamed? Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. Hey, listening is important. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And so... In her dream, one of the things that stuck out to her so much was not only just the meal, but the company that she had with the meal, what it was accompanied with. And she also described uh, the, the cultural dynamic of having these type of meals and where you're eating with other people, you're in their company. And so it was very special and she helped bring that to us. I'm gonna have one more person go. I saw Eddie's hand, perhaps because of his reach, but feel free to go. So my fiance's parents from Guatemala, so every time I go and eat over there in Guatemala, it is amazing. Mm. 
Uh-huh. You can just hit it. And then her dad is like this master chef, and he used to work at the, I think, uh, Volcano. I don't know if I said it right. So anything that he makes is just good. Yeah. It could be Asian food, it could be Guatemalan food, it could be an American food. Just anything that just comes, his, his hands touch it, it's just good. <laughs> <laughs> you throw it down. So I feel like every time I go over there, I just like, I get excited, you know. And he makes like this amazing chow mein. I don't know what he does. And that's one of our favorite dishes to make over there. And then Jennifer's uh, favorite meal when she goes over there, it's uh, frijoles, uh, beans with uh, tortilla. But the way he makes a tortilla, it's like, really thick and it's flour. And it's just, oh, uh, just your mouth. You know? <laughs> wow. Wow. I love the description. So we were just told by Eddie about how um, you know, his family, he, he got to experience a, a Guatemalan cuisine by his, I believe that would be soon to be father-in-law. And so it, it was, he really appreciated it. He talked about the, the individual foods that were made for him by his father-in-law, which was very special. And I just wanna say thank you all again for sharing kind of appreciate, um, thank you. I appreciate what Liz shared. It kind of got me a little excited because it was almost like she was a mind reader. She was mind reading my next point. You know, perhaps so. I think you're right, we're at church, that, that makes sense. So, as I reflect on meal experiences, I think one of the, the things that creates a great meal moment in memory is not so much the food, but how the guest is treated, how the eater is treated, treatment. So something that happens uh, in the book that I mentioned that, that our, our series is based on is Chester actually goes back and he interprets and he analyzes Luke 14 and specifically the passage that we just read. In this passage, Jesus is describing this great banquet and he invites three different groups of people. And so, unfortunately, I don't have it up, but I saw a lot of hands raised with things where they can go back and look at it. So that's great. But in particular, we saw one group, the first group, the group that made a lot of excuses. We have a second group that was the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then we have a third group. And this group is found on the roads and the country lanes, and they're compelled to come in. And basically, Chester makes this point that the first group are Jews, the Israelites. The second group are most likely Jews as well, but, but these are people who are kind of on the outside. They're on the outskirts. They might be people who are actually poor, blind, crippled, and lame. People like uh, the man who was healed who, who had abnormal swelling. Uh, a woman that was mentioned earlier in the Gospels, and she had an issue where she was paying a lot of doctors because she had a bleeding issue. So these people who, for whatever reason, would have been disconnected from the inner circle and just, I guess you could say, the solar system of Jewish society. But that's not all. We still have a third group. The group that were on the roads and the country lanes. And it's so funny because other translations say highways, but you think about roads and country lanes, Chester makes this point that, that these people would have been the Gentiles. So they would not have even been in this metaphorical orbit. They just would have been outside. And if I'm honest, that's where things kind of get a little scary, at least for me, because it says, and our next point is access to restoration. So as 
I'm reading this, it's, e it's so easy for me to think, well, what is being restored? How can we restore? You know, what, I mean, there's meals, there's Jesus, there's so much healing. What about hospitality? What can we do? But I even kind of wonder, would that even be enough? And the reason why I wonder this is because of a quote that Chester makes uh, right here from page 82 that I will read. And it says, we think we're reenacting grace if we provide for the poor, but we're only halfway there. We've missed out on the social dynamics. What we communicate is what we're able and you're unable. I can do something for you, but you can do nothing for me. I'm superior to you. We cloak our superiority in compassion, but superiority cloaked in compassion is patronizing. The reason and the relevance of this is actually going back to Genesis 1, 26 to 27, because this is what we're trying to restore, ultimately. This idea that God creates us, and when we look at what's highlighted and how he creates us, we're made in the image of God. We're not told that, that there's some group that's made any more or any less in the image of God. And yet, by the time we get to Luke 14, we have all these different groups. And even as you read the gospel, you notice that, that people are treated differently. This is what we're aiming to restore. But, but just doing something will not necessarily restore it. Because you could be hospitable. I mean, we even look at the Pharisees. They invited Jesus to, to their home and to their house. But as Jesus is revealing, <laughs> what were their intentions? You know, is it really just enough to do the right thing? What is our intent? What is our motive with it? And this was a, another thing that made this kind of, I guess, scary and concerning to me is I tried to extrapolate. I tried to bring this into our times. Like, which group would I be? And I realized, you know, I, I go to church. I think every Sunday I hear the word. I, I'd probably be the, the group very connected to the law. I guess you could say the teachers of the law. And here I am on stage talking about the law. And I realized that you know, it, it would probably be very easy for me to relate to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which is kind of problematic because what we just looked at in, in God's kingdom role, the way they acted, the way they were, they were not necessarily at the top. They were seeking honor for themselves. And where are they in God's kingdom? That <laughs> They're not at the top when we act like that, when we have that heart, when we approach life and we approach others in that way. And so, again, looking back at Luke 14, say, notice here, the principles that are introduced in Luke 14, they re reflect God's larger efforts to restore humanity's relationship to himself and to each other. Hopefully one day there will be a banquet and there won't be these different groups. We'll all be together and we will be just like the idea that is painted in the garden where we're all made in the image of God no more or no less. I also put larger efforts to restore because when you look outside of Luke 14, outside of Luke as a gospel, and you move forward and you move back, you kind of see these ideas of how God is trying to redeem people and bring them into right relationship. One thing was uh, the year of Jubilees that's mentioned earlier in the Torah in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, where every seven years people would be free uh, of their debts. And, and their slavery. I'm even reading about how in Nehemiah, there is this issue where you had Jewish nobles that were taxing their own people so hard that the people had to 
and send their children and sell them to their own people, and then their children would be enslaved. And so what does Nehemiah do? He reflects God's restorative work, and he asks them to just stop and to free them of this debt. So again, when you look throughout the gospel, you look in the Torah, you even look in the New Testament, specifically the end of Colossians, and even Philemon, where, where Paul is writing to Philemon, slave master, because slavery was a credible institution in the Roman Empire. He's encouraging him to be godly in it, to kind of transcend it, even though you may not just be able to eradicate social systems, you know, as one person, you can still be like God wherever you are. So as we go forward, what we're seeing is, again, there is, there is access to restoration. That is something that the table enables. And lastly, there's access to integration. And we'll talk about why. Because when we look at Luke 14, 1 to 24, we see Jesus do certain things that are very similar to Luke 8, 26 to 39. We see Jesus healing someone who has abnormal swelling, but we also see Jesus healing. We see Jesus teaching. In Luke 8, there's this moment where Jesus interacts with someone who is removed from society because they have so many demons. In fact, they're called the name based on how many demons that they have in them or unclean spirits. They're called legion. And they heal them. And then after that, they actually send them to their city, the Decapolis, to go out and tell people, hey, look what happened to you. The reason why I mention this integration is we don't just see Jesus do one thing. We don't just see him in one camp. He's doing multiple things. He's just living a life. This really stuck out to me because personally, when I look at our church and our church community uh, as a whole, I've heard that locally we probably could put more effort into evangelism. But as I look at the the tapestry of our church as a whole, it's very focused on evangelism. In fact, in some spaces, if I'm honest, that's all I really hear about. I don't really hear about the healing that we see in Luke 14 or in Luke 8. But then I look at Jesus, and Jesus is not someone who is just in in different tents, in different camps. He's in a community that has all of these camps together because he just lives a life where, where he's doing all of these things and they just flow into each other. And that was really attractive to me because it's easy for me to be black and white. It's easy for me to, to evangelize or to, or to just heal. But what about both? You know, with the, the younger generation, like we'll be on social media and there's this whole little meme thing and it says, you know, get you somebody who can do both. And I look at Jesus, I mean, look at him. He's doing so many different things, and it's not just one. He's not just in one camp. So as we have discussed and talked about today, meals can reveal our inner priorities, the roles and status in God's kingdom. They can enable access, access to, to restoration and integration. So that's where we were. I pondered, where are we going? Something I started thinking about is, is who are the people at the meals you attend and host? Who are the different groups? And not just that, how are people treated at the meals you attend and host? Because if I'm honest, maybe we have another agenda. Maybe we're too focused on, on honor or something else. Ultimately, why am I even talking about meals? Why is this important? And with that, 
I'll end with Chester uh, from page 96. And he explains why. He tells it for us to remember the cost of the Messianic banquet, the blood of Jesus. That is our motive and our model. Thank you all so much. Sorry, Devin said I had five minutes, so I had to run. Cool. All right, welcome, church. I am Richard Kim. And I'm getting beat up on stage. All right. Okay, cool, perfect. Uh, so, good morning, church. Um, so, I'm going to be help, uh, help lead you guys in communion. Um, first off is, uh, uh, I'm at the wrong spot here, okay. Um, yeah, uh, thank you, Spencer, for giving that awesome service. Uh, give him a hand of applause. Um, my favorite part of that sermon was uh, when he talked about uh, like our role uh, in God versus you know, how we should reflect on God's larger efforts to restore humanity's relationship to him and each other. Um, and uh, just going off that, um, uh, I actually put together a list of just stuff that I read from articles about the history of like dining together, traditions and cultures um, and things like that. Um, so, um, and just really quickly, one of my favorite experiences of dining was actually, so our brother Brooke invited us out um, to eat Ethiopian food. Um, and the one part that was really cool was uh, instead of like just eating, um, part of what they shared was we actually helped feed each other. Um, and so, yeah, and it was, um, it was difficult for me to take that in because, you know, we have to eat the naan, which is like the bread, like the, um, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, uh, it's like a breading and it's very thin. And then you put the food in it, you know, and you choose what you want to put in there. And then you have to like hold it and feed it with your hands. So that was a little challenging for me, but... Um, <laughs> But hey, like it, it, it worked out, you know, because I'm like, I don't know where anyone's hands has been. But the cool thing was that you, <laughs> the cool thing was that it showed you, like, you show them how much you love them about how much food you put in it. So like, um, and then he also said that if you know, if someone's not feeding you, you know that there's something wrong, that they're, they don't, they're not loving you right now. So, um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, so what do we, what do we come around the table to celebrate? Um, traditionally, you know, I guess just around here, we have like Taco Tuesdays, happy hours. Um, my personal favorite is Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, you know, and I have two sides of family. I have my white family and my Korean family. So we have Korean barbecue, a Korean family, um, white family. We um, celebrate mostly just all the, all the holidays. Um, <laughs> We have personal victories. Um, yes, uh, a couple days ago, we just celebrated uh, Brian's, um, he just graduated uh, college. So we went and we went out and we had some food. Congratulations, bro. Um, 
Uh, so questions that I found that they, uh, they asked in these articles was, um, you know, who plans meals uh, or mealtime practices? So who plans the meals, who procures the food, who prepares and presents it? Um, how do various family members participate? Um, is there a routine on how meals start, ends? Who eats first and other expectations? Um, how food is eaten? Um, hopefully not with the hands. <laughs> Utensils that are used um, and what foods are eaten straight from the bowl or eaten from like your hands and sharing uh, or sharing example of Thanksgiving. Um, so foods common in particular culture are influenced by a variety of factors including availability, geography, economics, religious practices, uh, and cultural traditions. Um, a staple starch is a prominent. I didn't know this. A staple starch is a prominent feature of meals around the world. So there's rice, which is a staple starch in many cultures. Uh, then there's also couscous, polenta, quinoa, or other grains. Um, potatoes are also common in many cultures. Uh, pasta and noodles um, are a staple common food. Um, various types of breads, and uh, also things like naan, pita bread, and tortillas. In the United States, uh, the typical meal pattern is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The meal most commonly eaten with others is dinner. Um, and then the most commonly skipped meal for United States is breakfast. Um, so, and when food is not eaten, also influenced by culture. For example, like, uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it right, I think it's Ramadan. The holiest month in a Muslim calendar, food is not eaten from sunup to sundown. So they have to have breakfast eaten before down, and dinner is eaten after sundown. Uh, and around the world, all cultures celebrate holidays, weddings, other special events, including sharing the meals and foods served and how they are presented are culturally specific. Um, so like, of course, U.S. got, we have Thanksgiving, things we eat like, you know, turkey, dressing, sweet potatoes, cranberries, um, whereas like in places like China, they eat long noodles where it, it represents long life. Um, and then Great Britain, they have high tea or they call it uh, light supper eaten in the evening or tea is substantial snack eaten about 4 p.m. I didn't know that. Uh, so significance of sharing a meal together. Food can be enlivened. Food can enliven relationships, elevate us, um, make us spiritually better, confirms sense of belonging, being a part of something, shows hospitality. Uh, we learn moral virtues such as generosity, discipline, and respect. Uh, good manners are related to the rules of sharing as well, offering food to others, waiting for others, and not taking portions that are too large. Um, brothers. <laughs> uh, me included, me included. Um, so, uh, so with all that, um, I think it's super cool how impactful tradition of sharing a meal is. Um, and uh, I believe that... Uh, you know, the person who understand this the most was Jesus. Um, in Luke 22, they had um, the, uh, they did the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, and uh, that's when he shared, you know, the, the cup and the bread. Um, and uh, and I, didn't, I did some research on that. It says, so it has to do with the Passover. After killing the firstborn, the Pharaoh agreed to let the Israelites go, but in their haste to leave Egypt, the Israelites could not let their bread rise, so they brought unleavened bread. So that's kind of where that tradition came from. Um, and so fast forward thousands of years later, we have this tradition of celebration with Jesus that he built with a new faith family. Um, share, they shared meals every day um, for three years. 
um, with each other and they created their own culture, right? And I wonder what that culture would look like of being around that dinner table with Jesus for three years and just all the, you know, I guess when you have your traditional meals and how all the chaos, well, for my family, it's chaos, but <laughs> all, that, all the things that you do around your table to get prepared and to share the meal together, wonder what that would have been like with Jesus. Um, I think that would have been an awesome thing to witness, to see. Um, so yes, he created that tradition of communion that we all get to enjoy and take part of to celebrate the victory of his sacrifice and continue the tradition of breaking bread as a community. Amen. So with that, as we take communion, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and share in that together. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, God, just thank you so much for uh, this day and just this uh, time of being able to come and worship you and just remember everything you've done for us. Uh, God, I, I pray that you um, give us the strength to carry on uh, our work for you, Lord, and uh, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.